Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenique Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenique Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Hello, today we're going to talk about be imaginative, therefore creative. In 2003, I moved from Alaska, where I'd lived for three years, back to my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. People don't really realize how far it is from Alaska to the Canada-U.S. border. When we would leave and drive it, it would take us six 10-hour days and a half day just to get to the Canada-U.S. border, and that would be over in Washington State and Montana. When we moved back to Nashville, it took us 12 12-hour days of driving to get to Nashville. So we were pretty tuckered out by the time we got there, and we had just built a new home, so we were wanting to get settled and move everything in. So I started going through all the boxes, and I'd gotten pretty much everything put away, and I realized that I could not find my storm radio. I had had this storm radio in Alaska. In Alaska, I used it for earthquakes. It would alert us when we were going to have an earthquake because there are quite a bit of earthquakes in Alaska. But when I moved to Tennessee, I knew because I'd lived there before that I was going to need it for tornadoes because over the years, Tornado Alley has sort of shifted to where now, when I was a child, we did not get the tornadoes like we do now. But in Nashville, we got some really substantial, deadly tornadoes that went through there. So I knew I was going to need my storm radio. I mean, I searched everywhere. I looked everywhere I could. I thought, where have I, did I unpack it? And I was so exhausted. I don't remember where I put it. But I looked and I looked and I looked. I could remember everything about that storm radio. I have a memory pretty much like an elephant, even in my old age. And I could remember that I I bought that. I remembered it cost, I think it was $19.99. And I had gotten it with a gift card someone had given me for Bed Bath & Beyond. And I could describe the box. In fact, I did to my husband, I'm looking for this box. The storm radio's in it. And this is what it looks like. And I could describe the box. And I looked and I looked and I looked. And I I just was not going to find it. But I didn't want to go buy another one and then come upon it and then have two storm radios. I thought that would be a waste of money and my time. So I thought, what what should I do? Well, I'll do what I normally do when I can't find things. And that I pray. I pray and I'll just say, God, could you please help me find this? Because I know that you know where everything is. And then I just let it go. I, I thought, well. If I'm supposed to find it, I'll find it, and I let it go. So a few days later, I walked into my walk-in closet in my bedroom, and there was a little alcove there where I had all my jewelry that, that I would hang there, my necklaces, my earrings, and my eyes glanced over into that alcove, and I saw all the jewelry hanging there, and then I saw this pouch that was a cloth pouch with a strap on it, kind of like a a purse, but it looked more like 
what you would put binoculars in. And I knew that we had a pair of binoculars in a pouch like that. And I thought, well, my goodness, why did I hang this here? I mean, it's not anywhere where I'm going to be able to see. I should have it in front of a window or something where there's a view. So I thought, I'm going to relocate this to another place. So I picked up that little pouch that supposedly was binoculars. And I thought, well, I'm going to look in and make sure that, that they made the trip without being damaged. And when I looked into the pouch, there was the storm radio in the pouch. It was not in the box. I was, you know, I had been pretty perplexed and up to that point, not knowing where it was. And when I opened it and saw it there, I heard this familiar voice immediately. And this is what I heard in my heart and mind, which I have come to know is my, is the God voice, is God talking to me. And this is what was said, Quamanique, for the storms that are coming, you are going to have to look outside the box. I have never forgotten the wisdom and instruction that I received that day. I would have to look outside the box in order to make it through the storms in my life. What is looking or thinking outside the box? We hear it all the time, but what is it actually? The saying comes from a square-looking puzzle. It's, it's nine different dots. And it's a puzzle to be solved where you connect the dots by using only four lines and you can't pull your pen up or your pencil up. There can be no break in the line. The thing is, the only way to solve it is to draw the line so they connect outside the box. It's simple once you see it. But if you're trying to solve it within the old paradigm of staying within that box, you will never see it. Thinking outside the box means to think differently or to think from a different perspective. It's innovative or creative thinking. That puzzle represents how we normally try to solve problems in our own lives. In fact, our thinking can sometimes contribute to the problem in the first place. As a therapist, I would see people, come; they would come into me wanting to try to solve things in their lives. And they would be stuck in what I would call the either-or solution, which was they only had two solutions. When this is at play, most people just shut down and do nothing because both of those solutions are in the extremes, and they become overwhelmed. You know, how do you eat an elephant? I've heard it said you eat it one bite at a time. When a problem is huge, the all-or-nothing thinking it's not helpful at all. When people would come to see me, we would do what I would call creative brainstorming sessions where we would try to imagine their life differently, sometimes even as another person. What would this person do if it wasn't you in your situation? What do you think the options would be for other people? Sometimes getting out of ourselves helps that. As an expressive arts therapist, as I'm, I'm trained and certified, we would use what was called sand tray and is called sand tray therapy. And the first time I did it myself, it, it, really, it really kind of blew me away because you, you walk into the office and when, when I had my office, I would have all these little figurines on shelves, everything you can imagine. And then I would have a tray with sand in it sitting 
on a table and a chair there, and the client would sit there, and I would say, now go and look. At, first, we would state the problem. What what do you feel you want? Where, where are you stuck? What do you feel you need to change? And I'd tell them to walk through and pick things that would speak to them, the figurines, the little things that would speak to them, and then bring them back to the tray. And then I would tell them to put their problem in the tray. So they would construct their problem with these little figurines. Sometimes they'd get back up and get more. And then they would talk to me about the problem. And then I would say, okay, now make another round and see if you can find anything to add to the tray that might help you to solve that. You would not believe how many times people would solve those issues. Let me give you an example. My husband and I traveled in ministry, and we had this little truck, and and we would load up our truck with all of our things that we would sell on the road, our books and our jewelry and our DVDs, and we would go down the Alcan. And you can imagine, like I told you, it would take us six 10-hour days and a half day just to get to the Canada-U.S. border. And then we would be working in the lower 48, going from place to place. And we would take our two cats with us. So here we were with two litter boxes in the back. of We we did have a cab, an extra cab on the truck, you know, where you could put four people. The cats would be in the back. We'd have the truck loaded down with the shell on it, with all our stuff. One time we went down the El Can, it was 65 below in the winter. So you can imagine. And we had our cats in tow. And that was getting really, really challenging. But I couldn't figure out, I just couldn't figure out any way out of it. So when I went to my therapist to do my sand tray, I put, and and we were flying all the time in airplanes, constantly flying in airplanes. And it was like, that was hard too, because it was difficult to get out of Alaska with the weather. So I put that in the tray. I remember I found a little airplane. I had the airplane there. I had all these different issues. I had little figurines. I think I even at one time used the seven dwarfs, and they represented the different people in the ministry meetings because you had to do this. You know, you had to improvise. And she, when she said, okay, now see what you can do, and she happened to have a bus. It was a school bus. But I brought it over, and I buried the truck, and I buried the airplane in the sand and put the school bus. And I want you guys to know that within a month, my husband and I owned a diesel pusher RV that we used for three years on the road that we were able to live out of. When I saw it in the tray, it became real to me and it broke down those places impossible thinking in my mind. All of a sudden, those bo- the box, it blew, that work that I did blew the, the, the box wide open. When we're boxed in, we have to push out the walls of those boxes. And many times those walls of those boxes are the limits that other people have placed on us or the limits we've placed on ourselves. You know, spiritually, there are no really huge limits. God is beyond limits. He can help us to do things and see things and be involved in things that we could never 
do on our own. When we blow the walls out of the boxes, then these solutions that we never saw before flood into our lives. They were always there, but they were blocked from our view because of the walls of the box. These walls can be self-limiting paradigms. And with God's help, we can turn failures into successes. I say God's help because it takes God to renew our minds and open them to new ways of thinking. If you think back to the road of Emmaus, when the disciples were there, they did not recognize Yeshua, Jesus. They didn't recognize him. God had to open their minds to a new paradigm. They could not accept it until he touched their minds. You know, paradigms can be like concrete, and they can be very hard to break. And that's why I feel for me, it usually takes something supernatural. It takes a God, a God experience for me. 400 years ago, Galileo proved that the sun did not orbit around the earth. This changed what everyone believed up until 1610. When Galileo allowed himself to think and see outside of the paradigms of his day or the proverbial box, he made a groundbreaking discovery. An interesting side point is that the religious system of that day, which was Catholicism, the Catholic Church was quick to condemn his findings, causing him to recant his theories, proving that the systems of this world, including the religious system, do not always appreciate thinking outside the box if it threatens their control. The box is comforting to us. It's our comfort zone. It's where our minds naturally go when we're trying to solve our problems. And we're trying to solve them with solutions that have worked in the past many times. We are creatures of habit. And we can fall into that without even realizing it. In order to step outside the box, we must imagine new possibilities, even those that seem out of reach, and expand the boundaries of our minds. Imagination is the key element in getting outside the box. We have to be inventive. You know, our minds are amazing, and our thoughts create our own realities. Visualization is a tool of imagination. And it's been used and can be used to create positive outcomes. Sports competitors know that. They sit and imagine making that basket, making that touchdown. They, or even the Olympians, they use that. They, they visualize themselves actually doing these things that seem impossible. And in so doing, they expand the horizon of their mind and their abilities. If you see it, often you can do it, but you first have to see it. We are always visualizing things in our minds, especially when we worry. So visualization is not a new thing for you. If you are worrying and imagining the worst outcomes, then you're already doing visualization. When we awfulize, we repeat the negative movie over and over in our mind. In my life of trauma, in my times of trauma, when I've been trapped in my body, it's very easily to visualize negative outcomes. There had been times I was so sick, I would see a visual of me doing my, of them doing my funeral. 
And I would have to stop the film. I would have to say, stop it and stop that film and reshoot the scene, so to speak, with them not being a funeral. Me showing up and doing something that I love to do with joy and feeling good. Trauma causes ruts in our brain. And over time, the synapses in our brain get welded together so that the thoughts naturally go into those ruts. In fact, there was a neurologist who did a, a, I listened to her do a talk one time, and she talked about doing MRI of the brain and actually seeing the ruts in the brain caused by trauma. And then later, she said she helped people to become focused on reading positive scriptures and turning their self-defeating thoughts into positive affirmations. And she would do a retest with the MRI and the ruts would be filled in. That's miraculous. That's the word becoming flesh when it talks about in the Bible, that the word actually becomes flesh. The brain fills in. And, and those synapses of the brain in addiction, they become wired so that in order to break addiction or break self-defeating behaviors, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to go through an uncomfortable time so that the brain, the process of rewiring can take place. And if we keep repeating those positive things over time, those synapses rewire to a healthy brain because of neuroplasticity. If we're already using our brains, why not have them work for us instead of against us? The remote control to my brain is in my hand. The remote control to your brain is in your hand. We are the only ones who can change the channel. Researchers using MRIs of the brain found areas of the brain that help us visualize They're highly similar to those that allow us to actually see things in reality. There is actually a 90% overlap in the most active regions of the brain. Visualizing and imagining things, imagining outcomes to problems, can allow us to take risks. This is what's beautiful. We can imagine this, actually walk through it in our own imagination of what the outcome might be, and without having... We can consider the potential consequences, good or bad, without having to experience them in real time. So we can actually walk through a problem and say, now, if I did this, what might happen? And we wouldn't have to experience the negative consequences. Because brain function, the brain functions as a problem-solving device, as we imagine possibilities and strategies, it strengthens the neurocircuits in the brain and helps bring what we have imagined to fruition. Our imaginations allow us to see something that a few moments before did not exist. It takes us from the present to the possibilities of the future. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinketh, so is he. Thoughts are building blocks of creating our lives. We must use good quality, foundational blocks. In my own personal life, looking outside the box has been a key for my survival and ability to thrive. When I was 35 years old, I encountered a chronic life-threatening illness. 
And to be honest with you, I did not have the tools on board to overcome. If I had thought at the time I was going to have to endure 35 more years of suffering, I believe I would have imploded. Up to then, I could fix things in my life. My problems were manageable to a degree, in that I could solve them or work around the stubborn ones. I prayed and I asked God for help, and He always came through for me in the way that I believed that He would and should. Notice I said, should. There was a little entitlement there in my faith base. I had lived through traumas as a child, and I wanted a God that would protect me from ever having to suffer again. In fact, one of the first songs that we sang during the Jesus movement when I became a believer was this song, and it said, I've got confidence. God is going to see me through. No matter what the case may be, I know he's going to fix it for me. You can imagine my disillusionment when I encountered my unfixable situation a decade later. I did everything I could to be healed. I fasted. I prayed. I repented. I worshiped. I read my Bible. I memorized scripture. I went through deliverance. I wept. I cried out. A person once asked me, did I really want to be healed? Insinuating that I wanted to keep my illness and suffering for attention and the purpose of martyrdom. Another person asked me, was I willing to do anything to be healed? This was a good friend of mine and God love her. She was not being negative or judgmental. But I remember saying to her, Melody, I would eat dog doo-doo on crackers if it meant I could be made whole. Suffice it to say, I was serious about healing. One lady told people not to come to my house because she had taken me through deliverance, and I really didn't want to get well. I just wanted attention. And they were told if they came to my house, they might get a transference of a demon. This only compounded my isolation and pain and suffering. Thank God that the remnant of believers didn't believe that nonsense. But it did cause hurt and confusion in an already suffering soul, being me. Months drug on. Suffering, unrelenting suffering, desperation grew. I had been taught little about suffering. So folks, I had to think outside the box of my paradigm of faith. I was praying and I was asking God for help. And God always does help us when we ask. And this person came by my house and I don't even remember who it was. And they dropped off a book called Tortured for Christ by Richard Wombrand about the underground church. And I remember thinking at the time, I don't know why they brought this to me. I've got enough going on. I don't need to read about other people being tortured. But it ended up being a gift of God for me. And that's how God works in our lives. I mean, I started reading this book and I learned about another paradigm outside of the one that I had been taught. The paradigm of suffering in the midst of one's faith. I found myself relating to the underground church of the unknowns and unnamed people 
who were suffering greatly, and God was allowing it. I read a paragraph that I will never forget. It shifted my thinking and altered the course of my life with my chronic illness. It stopped me from striving to be healed and blaming myself for not having enough faith. Here is the crux of what Richard Wombrand, who wrote the book, said. We were tortured beyond belief. We were starved. We were frozen. We were deprived of sleep. We were electrocuted. We were beaten. We were interrogated. We could not remember our own names, much less Bible verses to recite. It was not the scriptures that kept us, but the one of whom the scriptures speak that kept us. We could not sing songs out to God as our worship. It was the beat, beat, beating of our hearts that was our worship to him. You know, what comes to my mind is when you think about the sacrifice in the temple, it was, it was ground up and then burnt with fire. And when one of my friends lost her child, she said, I can't worship right now. I can't. And I said, do you understand that you are the pleasing aroma in the Lord's nostrils? You have been crushed and burned with fire. It's not about performance for God. Many times in the last 35 years, I have remembered Richard Wombrand and the wisdom he spoke to me through his book. And since that day, God gave me the lesson about looking outside the box for my storm radio. I've never forgotten to look outside the box for solutions to the storms that I would have to navigate through my life. As a human family, we often get trapped into certain ways of thinking and responding that keep us stuck. If we refuse to think outside our boxes, we can become rigid, immovable, and trapped. It is easy then to polarize into groups within our boxes and hurl stones at those in the boxes next to us. This is not the true essence of the gospel. When God encounters a situation, he does not confine himself to a box. Not even the religious boxes we try to fit him into. No. On the contrary. God is the essence of outside the box. And if we get outside our little boxes, we can and will encounter him fully. We will then be transported into the abundant life we can experience through him regardless of our circumstances. Thank you for joining me today and giving me your time. As I always say, your time is valuable. You're only given so much finite time here across the veil, and you've shared some with me today, and I'm honored by that. If you would like to learn more about our teachings, you can go on our website, indigenousmessengers.com. And this podcast is dedicated to my children and my grandchildren who I love so much.